Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple-making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple-making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better, so drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Welcome to our show today. We've got an exciting episode coming up. We're going to talk about the essential of identity in making disciples. But before we get started into our topic, I want to share a personal story with you. This is a story of the power of discipleship relationships. You know, last semester I spent about three months intensively discipling a group of 15 young people in a local church here in Ukraine. After the discipleship training was over, then they all went on summer break. It turns out that this summer, the pastor of that church led an extreme camping event in western Ukraine, where most of those that I discipled also attended. During the week, he was noticing that some of those I had discipled had this pen and paper out, and they were going through something that was in a circle. And so he he observed that it was some of the materials that I had been teaching them. In the end, because of this discipleship training, my disciples had led three people to the Lord during those two weeks. Now this is the power of discipleship. If you would just spend about three months of intensively discipling somebody around you, there's no telling what kind of effect that can have in the future. You reach two people who go out and reach two more, who go out and reach two more, and before you know it, hundreds, if not thousands, have been reached for Christ. This is what we're trying to do here at Disciple Making Ministries. We're trying to establish and encourage and equip and empower you to go out and start your own disciple-making movements among your friends, family, neighbors, and circles of influence. So I challenge you, are you going to obey the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that He's commanded you, and He'll be with you always to the end of the age? If you're serious about wanting to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but you just need a plan, a process, and some principles to get you going, then consider one of our online disciple-making seminars. 
we can personally walk you through the process of both being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. You can sign up for a seminar on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org slash seminars. After a short break, I'll return with the main topic for today, which is the essential of identity in making disciples. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All your ways are good, all your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone, higher than my sight, high above life. I will trust in you alone, in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay.
The story has been told of a girl who was the daughter of one of the royal families of Europe. This girl had a big bulging nose that in her eyes destroyed her beauty and resulted in her seeing herself as an ugly person. Her family hired a famous plastic surgeon to change the contour of the girl's nose. After he did his work, there came the moment when the bandages were taken off and the girl could see the end result. The doctor saw that the operation had been a total success. All the ugly contours were gone and her nose was completely different. When the incision healed and the redness disappeared, she would be a beautiful girl. He held up a mirror for the girl to see, but so deeply embedded was the girl's previous image of herself that when she saw herself in the mirror, she couldn't see a change. She broke into tears and cried, Oh, I knew it wouldn't work. I knew it wouldn't work. It took six months before that girl finally accepted the fact that she was indeed an attractive person. And it wasn't until she had accepted this fact that her self-image and her behavior began to change accordingly. So it is with those who are in Christ. Before our behavior can change, we must first accept our new identity in Christ. The most effective disciple-makers that I know are those who have settled their identity in Christ as disciple-makers and those who are living out of the implications of that truth. Why do you think in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul started with three chapters of establishing their identity before telling them what to do? So today we're going to look at identity, our identity in Christ and our identity as disciple-makers. We pray that this is going to radically transform your life and will launch you out there into successful discipleship relationships. Now a quick search out there on the secular website Wikipedia will give us a definition of identity. In psychology, sociology, anthropology, and philosophy, identity has been defined as the conception, the qualities, the beliefs, and the expressions that make up a person's self-identity or a person's social group identity. Identity is not something isolated, but usually rather something that is construed to be connected to one's relationships and their particular context. A psychological identity relates to one's self-image, their self-esteem, and individuality. A sociological definition of the term identity describes the social-cultural identity of the member within the social group. An anthropological definition of the term identity is usually used to describe the historical ethnicity of a particular person or group related to the past and connected to the present and the future. So, in summary, your identity are your individual characteristics by which you are recognized or known. Or you might say that is your distinct personality within your social group. So, how was your identity formed? Well, your identity was largely formed through your relationships, through your parents and through other influential individuals, teachers, peers, and different social groups. Part of your identity came from where you're born and part from your family relationships, part from your cultural system, part from your economic circumstances, 
apart from your educational system, apart from your occupation, apart from your religious backgrounds, apart from your choices that you've made, and apart from revelation from God himself. These were all programmed into your subconscious. You don't even realize that your programs are running in the background and influencing your output responses. And you don't realize that there are others who are trying to hack into your identity without your knowledge, and they're trying to change your identity through various methods. When the final second had ticked away, and the thrilling football game had ended, an exhausted fan in the bleachers turned to his friend and exclaimed, Boy, we really played well today. But the fact of the reality was that the fan hadn't played at all. He wasn't wearing the protection equipment. He wasn't on the playing field. He wasn't even a part of the game plan at all. Yet he still identified himself with the 11 men on that team. It's strange how we humans can have a capacity to identify with certain groups, people, concepts, programs that have very little to offer us in our future. What are some major and minor categories of self-identification that you and I have? Well, we all have an identity with a certain family. We have identity with humanity in general. We have a gender identity. We have some kind of an ethnic background identity. We have educational identity, perhaps a religious identity, a denominational identity, a national identity, occupational identity, hobby-related identity, and maybe even an identity in your neighborhood. Now, being a missionary here in Ukraine, I get to see how other people from different cultures identify themselves. And I get to see how Satan tries to destroy people's identity. Did you know that Satan loves to attack your identity? This is one of Satan's key strategies for hindering you from having spiritual fruit and success. If he can just get into your head and destroy your sense of self-identity in Christ, then he's won the battle. Satan used exactly this tactic in the Garden of Eden against Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it reads like this. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's key strategy in the Garden of Eden was to destroy the self-image that Eve had in herself so that she would disobey God and would have a broken relationship with her Creator. Also, we see in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, that Satan tried to destroy Jesus' self-image, but he was unsuccessful. It reads like this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Three times in this passage we see that Satan tried to attack Jesus' identity. Satan tried to deceive Jesus into trusting his own power for his provisions. Satan tried to deceive Jesus to trust in his own position for protection. And Satan tried to deceive Jesus to trust his own possessions for some measure of praise. Attack, attack, attack on the self-identity. That is one of Satan's key strategies. Satan wants to deceive you into voluntarily giving up your rights to rule as God has created you to rule with him. We see this going on here in Ukraine in the current conflict between Ukraine and Russia. For years and years, Russia has been deceiving Ukraine in the area of Ukraine's self-identity. Russia has been telling Ukraine that they are the little brother, when in reality, Ukraine existed before Moscow ever existed. So Moscow is in reality the little brother of Ukraine. And Russia has been using its propaganda machine to pound through repetition into the hearts and the minds of people in Ukraine that they are not worthy to lead themselves and that they have no right to rule with authority over their own land. Russia has found out that if you repeat a lie over and over and over long enough, then this programs the minds of the people to believe that lie. And then Russia has used a third tactic of Satan against Ukraine in that if deception doesn't work and if repetition doesn't work, then Russia uses intimidation, bullying, trauma, stealing, killing, destroying in order to get Ukraine to submit to Russia's will. So in the past two years, Russia has stolen Crimea killed almost 10,000 people, displaced over 1.5 million Ukrainians, taken over a huge chunk of Ukraine's economy, blockaded Ukraine's trade with other nations, doing everything possible to intimidate and to cause trauma to reprogram the minds of Ukrainians so that they will submit to Russia's 
plan for Ukraine's life. This is exactly the same tactic that Satan uses against you. If he can't deceive you, if he can't reprogram your minds through repetition on television, then he's going to try to attack you and intimidate you to bully you into giving up your rights to him. Why does Satan want to damage your identity? He wants to prevent you from trusting God and obeying God and receiving the blessings of God. He wants to prevent you from having spiritual fruit and receiving a greater eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. He wants to prevent you from having success in expanding the territory of the kingdom of God here on earth. He doesn't want you to have success. He doesn't want you to have health. He doesn't want you to have fruitfulness. He doesn't want you to have positive relationships. He wants to destroy everything in your life. And so he attacks your identity. How does Satan attack your identity? Oh, he reminds you of your past sins. He reminds you of your past failures. He reminds you of the negative words that other people have said about you. He reminds you of things in the world's system that hinder your success. Satan even likes to work through the church to prevent you from having success. Satan sets up all kind of systems in the church that keep you passive, that keep you away from becoming fruitful, that prevent you from making disciples. For example, the church is all structured around a pastor doing all the work and the people sitting passively and going home and their lives never changing. Just think of how that plays into the plan of Satan. If you just go to church on a Sunday and you sit there and then you passively go home and you're never discipling anybody, you're not producing fruit, that makes Satan very happy. If Satan can convince you that because you don't have a seminary degree you can do nothing in the church, then that makes him happy. He's already cut down the odds. So we've learned today in this episode that Satan loves to attack your identity he wants to put you down. He wants to prevent you from having success. And he does this by reprogramming your heart. Reprograms your heart through deception. He reprograms your heart through repetition. And he reprograms your heart through trauma. Have I convinced you that you need to understand what your true identity is in Christ so that you will live more successfully in the kingdom of God? Well, after the break, we'll return and find out what exactly is the identity of the believer in Jesus Christ. Stay tuned. Well, it's my turn now. Oh, oh, oh my turn now. Oh, oh, my turn to give my life away. I close the book and I shake my head. Sometimes I can't believe the things I've read I don't deserve what he did for me Hey, hey, he gave his love and his life away And now he's asking me to do the same I'm gonna give him all I am and all I ever 
Cause it's my turn now Whoa, my turn now Whoa, my turn to give my life away I open up the book and look again I read the stories of a faithful man Who gave up all they had to follow Jesus Yeah, yeah He used the strong and used the weak He even gave the timid words to speak He called whomever listened in And now his call goes out again Well, it's my turn now Oh, my turn now Oh, my turn to give my life away love him, my turn to let him know, my life is his, so where he leads me I will go, well it's my turn now, oh my turn now, oh my turn to give my life away, well it's my Clark Kent, that mild-mannered newspaper reporter of whom no one ever expected anything out of the ordinary. But whenever there was a sudden demand for action far beyond the ability of mortal men, Clark Kent stepped into a closet, removed his conservative business suit, and emerged complete with bulging muscles and spectacular costume as Superman. Yes, Superman, the one who could do what otherwise could not be done by humanity. This is similar to what the Word of God teaches us regarding identity in Christ. To most surrounding us, we look like regular people here on this earth. But in Christ, our identity has empowered us and strengthened us to live in such a way that we do the supernatural. We go out into this world and we save the day through the power of Jesus Christ, bringing people into the kingdom of God. So, what is your identity in Christ? How has he radically changed you and transformed you? What does he want to do with your life? You might say that today I'd like to reprogram your heart with the revelation of Jesus Christ regarding your identity so that you can be empowered to make disciples of Jesus Christ among your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and in local churches. You no longer have to be identified by your past. You no longer have to be identified by what others say about you. You no longer have to be identified by your sin. You no longer have to be identified by what Satan is trying to say about you. Scripture says you were born as a new child of God. In 1 John 1, 12-13, it reads, But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become 
children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did you catch that? You are part of the family of God now. You no longer have to self-identify with your previous earthly family. Those things that happened to you in your past, those things that might have been done to you by your parents, those things that might have been done to you by your siblings, the way that you have defined yourself based upon the relationships that you had growing up, you no longer have to be identified by those things. You now have a new heavenly family, a new righteous family, that is, the family of God. Secondly, Scripture defines your new identity in Christ as a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reads like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Did you catch that? You no longer are identified by the past things, by your sins, by your failures, by your rejections. All old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You've been radically transformed from the inside out, from the spirit to the soul, into the body, and out into the world. So take up this new identity card that has been placed before you. You have a new passport. Third, I'd like to point out the fact that your new identity is that of being a friend with God. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Did you catch that? You are no longer considered as slaves. You are no longer considered as distant from God. You have become a friend that is closer than a brother to God. Not only that, Christ has revealed all things that the Father has made known to you. What an amazing privilege to have this identity as a friend of God. So put away those thoughts out there of being distant from God. Put away those thoughts of being a slave. Put away those thoughts of not having any knowledge. Because God has called you his friend. Fourth, I'd like to say that now you are considered as righteous before God. You know, there's many of you out there that are tripped up, that are hindered, that are stopped, that are prevented from fruitfulness because you're looking at yourself as an unrighteous sinner rather than as a cleansed, righteous servant of God. You need to look at yourself differently. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So whose lenses are you looking through? Are you looking through your own lenses by which you see yourself as an unrighteous sinner who is terrible and destined to failure? Or are you looking at yourself through the lenses of God, which is Jesus Christ, who took your sin away from you and created you to be righteous, holy, and blameless before God in love? God has radically performed surgery on your heart 
He's radically transformed your image, and yet you're looking at yourself like you were before. That's crazy. Fifth, I'd like to say, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Part of being saved is being freed from slavery to sin. You've been delivered from that Egyptian bondage, so put it behind you. I read from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has freed us from sin. Did you catch that? You're no longer a slave to sin. I've been doing some counseling with some people here in Ukraine who are still living under the enslavement of sin because they have not recognized their true identity in Christ. And I just want to beat them over the head and say, you don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You can break this cycle because of Jesus Christ has broken the cycle of sin in your life. Live in freedom. Live in faith. Live in power. Live in joy. Live in peace. You are freed from the Egyptian bondage to sin. Six, I would like you to understand that your new identity is a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3, 20-21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, Did you catch that? Your citizenship is in heaven. You have a new identity that is uh, separate from this earth. You may have an earthly passport. You may have an earthly family. You may have an earthly cultural social group. But your true identity, your true citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, you identify yourself more with the things of heaven rather than with the things of earth. Scripture says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But you can love the things of heaven where the love of the Father exists. Now, seventh, I'd like to point out that you have an identity of being crucified along with Christ. Galatians 2.20 reads, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch that? You have a completely new identity of living not for yourself, but living for Christ who lives in you. Now, eighth, I'd like to point out the fact that in your new identity in Christ, You are reigning and ruling from heaven above, even while you're on earth below. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7 reads, 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in our lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? You have been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and that he is showing the riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. This means that you now rule from heaven above, and you now have access to all the riches of the grace of God, and God is empowering you with those riches to live out your faith here on earth in power and authority with success and results. This leads to the ninth point, that you have been chosen and appointed to go and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. John fifteen sixteen reads like this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Did you catch that? Your new identity is that of a fruit bearer. Your new identity is that of someone who prays to God and expects the prayers to be answered. You have been chosen and appointed for this very purpose, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. What a powerful identity change. Now, tenth, I'd like to point out that God has called you to be his ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reads like this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. Do you catch that? Your new self-identity is that of an ambassador. An ambassador has a certain position of authority. An ambassador is sent to another country, or another realm, or another territory of existence. An ambassador goes with the program and the principles and the purposes of the one who sent him. An ambassador is one who tries to diplomatically connect another country to his own country principles. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about this same issue. Ephesians six eighteen through 20 reads like this, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Did you catch that? The Apostle Paul saw himself, identified himself as being an ambassador of Christ who speaks with all boldness about the mystery of the gospel to this earthly world that is lost and in need of Jesus Christ. 
And he asks for your prayers that he would fulfill that mission that God has granted to him. And I would like to say right now that you too have been given the responsibility and the role of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ where he's placed you among your family, among your friends, among your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, and even in your church. This is your identity of being a priest who reconciles people to God. In point number 11, I'd like to emphasize this ministry of reconciliation that you have. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 reads like this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What an important responsibility you have to be a reconciler of others back to God. Well, there are many more aspects to your identity in Christ, but I want to close with this 12th illustration on identity in Christ. This is called the ABCs of identity. I am A, accepted in the beloved. I am B, blessed with all blessings. I am C, chosen in him. I am D, delivered from dark powers. I am E, elevated to heavenly places. I am F, forgiven from all sin. I am G, God's workmanship. I am H, healed by his stripes. I am I, innocent before him in love. I am J, justified by faith. I am K, kept by the power of God. I am L, loved unconditionally. I am M, more than a conqueror. I am N, not condemned. I am O, overcoming the world. I am P, predestined to sonship. I am Q, quickened together with Christ. I am R, redeemed from the curse of the law. I am S, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I am T, to his praise. I am U, unto his glory. I am V, victorious through Jesus. I am W, washed in his blood. I am X, crucified with Christ. I am Y, yoked together with believers. And I am Z, zealous of good works. It has been said that if you want to enrich your days, plant a flower. If you want to enrich your years, plant trees. If you want to enrich eternity, plant identity in Christ in the lives of others. This is who you are as a disciple maker. Go out there and live it. We'll return after the break and discuss what it means to identify yourself more specifically as a disciple maker. I'd like to take a few moments to share seven ways for you to practically participate in disciple making ministries. First and foremost, we want each of you out there to start your own disciple making movements, for that is the only way that we're going to be able to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started. The second, you can attend one of our online disciple-making seminars. This will help you get started in training others how to make disciples. 
third, you can translate curriculum and resources into multiple languages. Fourth, you can donate towards our vision or sponsor a podcast episode to keep us going here on the internet. Fifth, you can make your Amazon and iTunes purchases through our affiliate links, which returns a percentage back to our ministry. Sixth, you can leave positive reviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podbean. Seventh, you can spread the word about this ministry to leaders in local churches. For more information, please visit our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave us a message on our call-in telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. And now back to the show. Welcome back to the final segment of this episode. A Dutch father once gave his newborn son the names of all 12 of Jesus' disciples. The registry office clerk argued with the father, saying that the boy would have much trouble filling out forms when he grew old. But the man insisted because he wanted his son to be like a disciple of Jesus Christ. Likewise, in this episode, I want to reprogram your mind to have the name Disciple right next to your name. I want you to carry with you the identity card of a follower of Jesus Christ. So in this segment, we're going to look more closely at what it means to have an identity as a disciple maker. Your first identity as a disciple maker is that you are a fisher of men. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, it reads, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. In this passage, we see that your true identity in Christ as a disciple maker should be, number one, followers of Jesus. Secondly, we see in this passage that a true disciple of Jesus is a fisher of men. He's been called to go seek out men and capture them for the kingdom of God. The modern church is in a sad state. We have become no longer fishers of men, but rather keepers of the aquarium. Secondly, as a disciple maker, you are called to be salt and light in the world. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, it reads, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Both salt and light have an influence or an impact in the world in which they are placed. Disciple-makers also have an identity of those who reach the lost sinners. 
In Matthew 9, 9-14, it reads, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth and said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the point is that real disciple makers are going to be those who are out there mixing with the sinners of the world. They have this identity of loving and looking for the lost. Disciple makers also have an identity of working in God's harvest fields. Let's read from Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You disciple-makers out there need to see yourself as workers in God's harvest. This is not about your desires. This is not about your wishes. This is not about your dreams. This is not about your plans. This is all about working in God's fields, in his harvest, doing things his way for his kingdom. And then being a disciple-maker has the identity of having authority and having power over unclean spirits and healing of diseases. Matthew 10, 1-42 reads, Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Do not worry about what you are going to say, for it will be given to you in the hour that you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Also, the disciple-maker has the identity of having his priorities straight. Later in Matthew chapter 10, it reads that, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. This is a great reminder of having proper priorities of putting Jesus Christ first. How many of you out there have your priorities upside down? You're seeking things for yourself. You're seeking things for your family. You're seeking things for your future. Basically, you have self-identified with the things of this world instead of with the things of the kingdom of God. Being a disciple also means that you have an identity of courage and faith. 
Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36 reads, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, there he was alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Well, the point of this story is that the disciples needed to learn to take courage and to not be afraid and to exercise their faith. Disciples of Jesus are also to identify themselves as servant leaders. In Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28, it reads, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said back to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So, the disciple-maker here has an identity of servant leadership. You are not called to go out there and lord it over others. You are not called to go do all the work yourself. You are called to go and serve as true leaders of Jesus Christ, to give your life as a ransom for many. And though there are many other points of what it means to be a disciple-maker, I want to close with this one. Your identity as a disciple-maker is that you should go out and make disciples. I'd like to read one more time the Great Commission here from Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. 
the disciple maker must see himself or herself as one who is going one who is making disciples of all nations one who is baptizing and one who is teaching others the principles of the kingdom of god in christ jesus so in conclusion i'd like to say that the whole process of discipleship and disciple making begins with identity well, that's all the time we have for our show today. Join us next time as we dive into more about the essentials of disciple-making. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next Disciple Making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.